Hey friends, welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast hosted by me, Louis Giglio. I'm so pumped for you to join us today for this conversation with Priscilla Shirer. She is a best-selling author, speaker, actress, and co-founder of Going Beyond Ministries. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of God's Word in our lives, the message we want to transfer to the next generation, and how to stay connected to God in the midst of difficult circumstances. I'm so excited to have her on the Passion and Purpose podcast, and I know that you're going to love it. I couldn't be more excited today to welcome my guest Priscilla Shire to the Passion and Purpose podcast. And Priscilla, you don't need much of an introduction to anybody who's alive on planet Earth right now. Your speaking and your writing have impacted so many people, but yet your acting has also now put you in the forefront and brought you to theaters and to television uh, screens and people's homes around the world. Uh, but you're a mom and a, and a wife, and uh, you're a leader in the church and a builder of the church, and you're just an incredible person in general. And when I think of the two words passion and purpose, one of the people that rises to the top is Priscilla Shire. You are, you embody passion and purpose. So I'm honored, beyond honored. You have no clue how honored I am that you would be on our first season of the Passion and Purpose podcast. So welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Listen, thank you for having me. As I even told you before we started filming, I have the utmost respect for you and Shelly and Passion and all that you have done to impact so many people. So I thank you for your integrity and for this new pursuit for you, this this podcast. Um, It's just awesome that you're doing something else to impact the kingdom, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of it. When I think about you, Priscilla, the first thing uh, I was I just sat a few days ago and I said, what, what comes to my mind when I think about Priscilla? And the first thing that came to my mind was the Word of God. Hmm. And you preach it like nobody's business. In fact, one of the greatest messages I've ever heard and possibly a contender for the most powerful message ever preached at a Passion Gathering you preached in the Georgia Dome, and you came to the end of that message. First, you talked about going out. I don't remember the particular relative, but to your aunts or somewhere where there was an old boat by a lake, and you would tip that boat over and get up in the creepy darkness, and you closed it with that illustration of Simba, and the whole stadium just erupted. And I remember sitting there yeah. looking at Shelley and saying, I think that's the best matches I've ever heard in my oh, life. My <laughs> you write about the word your Bible studies like Elijah, which is uh, sweeping the world right now, are so profound. Just talk for a minute about your relationship with God and with the Word of God. Well, I um, appreciate you making that connection um, about my desire to honor God's Word with every aspect of, of my life, because that's true. It is the it's the track. Like if my life is a train and I might have all these passengers on it or a few passengers in one season, a lot of passengers in another season, or if I'm headed one direction, maybe it's writing or it's speaking or it's acting or whatever, the track remains the same. And it's the truth of the word of God. It's the only thing that is unchanging in a life that is so uncertain. So my ministry um, and 
whatever the outworkings of that may be, uh, my ministry is, is based on that track and wanting to encourage people around the word of God. Um, but also my personal relationship with God's word is that I know that every time I come to the pages of scripture or the, um, the screen of scripture, if I'm looking on my iPhone or something, um, I know that God is going to use that to give me personal insight, encouragement, conviction, direction, guidance. So I'm always leaning into it with my spiritual ear leaned in to say, okay, Lord, what is it that you're trying to tell me today for the decisions that I've got to make today or this week? How are you trying to equip me in advance for problems that you know are coming in the next 24 or 48 hours or month ahead? Please help me to be tuned in, Lord, for how you might be giving me supernatural solutions for issues I don't even know are on the way. And then, Lord, just impact me by your presence. Sometimes it's not a direct specific word that is an answer to maybe a prayer I've been praying, but it is an awareness of his presence with me that he's come to just bring comfort or to let me know that he's still present and very much aware of the details of what concerns me. So when I enter into um, a time of reading the scriptures or connecting in any way with God's word, I'm always looking for a person that I know he wrote that as a love letter to me. So Lord, what is it that you want me to show, that you want to show me about yourself? Don't let me leave these pages until I've seen you more clearly so that I can relate to you more fully. When you teach the word, Priscilla, you are, you're on fire. You know, there's this, um, <laughs> this sense of uh, prophetic edge to your voice and a confidence in what you're communicating. And it's not based on an illustration or on your personal style. Um, it feels to me, sitting under the teaching, that the confidence of God's word that you have on the daily just is somehow energizing to you in the moment. And some people speak in different lanes and different zones, but I know when you speak, it's going to come full throttle. It's going to push me back in my seat a little bit, but it's somehow it's the confidence that you have in the proclaimed word of God for mm-hmm. people. So how, do, how would you describe your gifting, if you will, in communicating the word of God? And what encouragement would you give a young communicator who's looking up to you right now and maybe sees themselves being in a zone like that one day? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling as you even asked that question, Louie, because I'm thinking to myself, look who's talking, the man from whom fire falls from his mouth. Every time I'm hearing him preach and speak, I'm just so blessed by your commitment to the integrity of the scripture. So I thank you for modeling that for me. You have no idea how much you've inspired me with the way you have stewarded the gift that God has given you. Um, The scriptures are my outline for teaching and and preaching. They're the outline. In other words, I'm intentionally um, trying to keep myself from being discouraged about the fact that sometimes I don't feel very creative or I don't feel very innovative and I'm struggling maybe to get a message um, the way that I would like to present it. And I have to remind myself, whatever is on this page is enough. Yeah. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit's going to help me to have illustrations or help me to communicate it clearly. But I, I want to encourage 
those who are um, drawn towards ministry and, are, and feel like maybe they don't have a creative edge that's enough or that matches someone that they admire or they're not as innovative or maybe they're not as motivational or they don't feel like they have the same sort of style that they feel like communicates well. The reality is God's word is enough. And so when I come to the pages of a certain portion of scripture that I am going to teach from, I am looking at that. Um, and my style is a very exegetical style of teaching. So I'm looking at it to see what is the point that the original author was trying to communicate. That's what I'm going to communicate. And then what are the principles that I can pull right out of these scriptures? That is my outline. I don't want to be innovative more than that. I just want to present exactly what it says. Um, I will tell you that something I've been drawn to recently in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing about all these very foundational, I mean like, basic level faith building stuff to, to the people that this letter is going to. And then he gets to, you know, maybe verse 12 or 13 or so. And he says, the Lord's told me that my time on, on earth is short. And so the time I've got left, I'm just going to remind you of these things. And he says, I know you already know them, but I'm going to take my time not to be clever, not to come up with anything that sounds exciting and fresh and new. I'm literally just going to tell you what you already know. And I'm going to tell, you, tell it to you point blank, plain and simple. Here it is. And receive it for the truth that it is and the way that it's going to undergird your life. So I feel like now more than ever, Louis, it's the time for us to pull back from trying to be clever and wow. just remind people of the basics. Um, and so that's that's kind of the encouragement that oftentimes when I feel discouraged, particularly in me message preparation, that can be very discouraging for me, very overwhelming. I have to remind myself of what Peter said, just remind them of these things. That was a lot simpler when it was just you or me uh, going to the event. And all you were, and I were concerned about was, like for me, I'm just thinking back to some of my early days right now. There's going to be uh, 37 teenagers at this event. Yes. And all I'm concerned about is, are they going to hear from God and take a step in their faith? Now, when I communicate, I'm concerned about everyone on planet Earth and what they're oh. going to think about what I'm going to communicate, because now it's going to go in a little square and it's going to yep. stack up against everything that everybody else is communicating. I find that it was a lot simpler in the old days. And <laughs> I, as an old guy, I can say that, and I know it doesn't relate and translate, but it was so much simpler then. It wasn't easier because it was still my ego was involved. I wanted to be liked. Mm -hmm. I wanted all those people in that room to like me. But underneath that more, I just wanted people to fall in love with Jesus and take a step in their faith. And nobody else was going to know about it. If you weren't in the room, you missed it. And that's all it was. Yeah. How much yeah. simpler was that than this oh, my crazy goodness. world we're living in right now? Yes. And it was also much more simple because even if you said something in a way that honestly you would have said it differently, um, it, it could have been taken out of context. It was contained within the room that you were in. <laughs> so now Preach. somebody can just splice out 60 seconds of something that you said in an hour long message, which has happened to me before. And they take that and that goes viral standing on its own underneath a headline that has been curated to kind of direct people in whatever direction the media or whatever wants to do. And so it's a very, um, it's a very vulnerable place to stand in. And you literally, like you said, it was much simpler where we, we, we still wanted to communicate God's word with accuracy, 
But when we slipped up in the way we communicated it or something that could be taken out of context, we didn't have that concern that everybody all over the world could hear this out of context and either think that I meant it that way or skew now their knowledge of that portion of scripture or God's character because I just didn't communicate as clearly as I could have. And that's going to happen because we're human beings. Shelley said to me this week, um, she just said, I respect you so much because I was talking about just um, just being under pressure, you know, and mm-hmm. it's exactly what you're talking about, Priscilla. Uh, Sunday, I was just presenting causes that we're giving to in our above and beyond generosity giving that's coming up Sunday. And we went home and Shelly said, I just respect you so much because every single word that comes out of your mouth when you are on that platform is going to get dissected and evaluated and <laughs> rehashed and put through somebody else's filter and some lens. And it does feel like right now that we are in a weird zone that has to be resolved somehow. And I don't know what mm-hmm. the somehow is, but mm-hmm. I just think back to those days when I used to go and just try to be faithful to the Word. And for me, I was listening to Charles Stanley. I was listening to a guy who is a big influence in my life, who's been in heaven for a long, long time that most people don't know, a guy named Dan DeHaan, uh, a guy who is a missionary legend that a lot of people don't know named Ian North. And when I would go and preach, Priscilla, I would try to preach their messages. <laughs> yeah, totally. In my style. Now, now yeah. you grew up with like, you know, the preacher of preachers, um, like the, the top of the top, the best of the best, your dad, Tony Evans. I mean, there's no one like him. And you've heard him preach every Sunday for your entire life. And now it's your turn. And God is putting you on your path. But you're not Tony Evans. You're Tony Evans' daughter, but you have your own voice. And how did you find Priscilla's lane when you'd been in Tony's lane all your life? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, just to set the record straight on a couple of things, he still... I still sit under his teaching every Sunday. I still am a member at my dad's church. All four of us are, as a matter of fact. And I think that says a lot about a, the integrity of a, a man when his grown kids and his grandchildren are still sitting there um, enjoying what it is that God is sharing through him. And I also want to say, as an adult child now, when I hear someone like you speak highly of my father, it does my heart so good, even more than when I was a kid. And the reason why is because I know now the consistency, the daily sacrifices, the Mm. integrity that that man had to exhibit for decades in order to not just be a good preacher, but live that stuff at home. And my mom and dad weren't perfect, but I tell you what, they taught me what ministry was supposed to be, that it's not supposed to be a show you do at church, that it actually is we're living this stuff in our regular life to the best of our abilities and by the power of the Holy Spirit and with joy. And then now we're going to go pour out to other people as well. They were for real and they are for real about Jesus. My mom went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago, but dad, like he has integrity. And I'm so grateful now that I got modeled that this is what ministry is. It's your whole life. Um, and so I'm so grateful to hear you say that about my dad. And I got, when people ask me, you know, did you take preaching classes or did you take speaking classes or anything like that? I'm, I say, no, not officially, but actually kind of yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, because <laughs> every Sunday I watched a man who, like you said, is probably one of the greatest communicators of our generation. It's unbelievable. Um, and he's 72 now, Louis, and he's preaching like he's 28. 
were just staring at him like, are you for real? Do you have more to say for real? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, it's been a joy to, to, to sit under his ministry. And then as the Lord has kind of directed me in a path that I never expected. So I, I was not younger and thinking I'm going to be in a speaking or teaching ministry when I'm that, that thought never crossed my mind. So it wasn't something that I set out to do, but as the Lord kept giving me opportunity, lining my passion up with it, and then using wise counsel around me that kept showing me this is the direction God's pointing you in. Um, one of, one of those people was Anne Graham Lotz. And she said something to me, this is Billy Graham's daughter. She said something to me when I was 24 that has shaped and informed the ministry that I've had for the past 25 years. She said, Priscilla, um, I know, you know who my daddy is, Billy Graham, and I know who your daddy is, but he has not called us to our father's ministries. He's called us to the ministry that he has assigned to us. Wow, that's great. And so whether that is to 3 million people like our daddies or three people, we better do it to the glory of God. At the time she said that to me, we were standing in a hotel lobby, Louis. Uh, it was called CBA at the time, Christian Bookshelf Sellers Association. And I'm standing there, I'm 23, and I'm looking around me in this swirling lobby full of people that I admired. Oh my gosh, all the people who had a radio ministry I was listening to or books I was reading or anybody who kind of was anybody was standing there. And I was just a 23-year-old girl looking around in complete awe at these incredible people with impactful ministries. And she pointed around and she said, Priscilla, so many of these people are going to get to heaven and find out that they weren't even on the front lines of doing what God had called them to do. Wow. She said, your assignment and mine is to ask God, what is the front line that you have called me to? And then she said, you get on that line. And whether you're applauded or appreciated or you sell a lot of books or you get a publisher or you don't get a publisher or you have a radio ministry or an internet ministry or you don't is irrelevant. Stay on the line. And I mean, at 23, 24 years old, I absorbed that. And to answer your question in a very long roundabout way, that is what has shaped and informed the invitations I've accepted, the books that I've written the um, ministry opportunities that I have said yes to and that I've pursued or that I've engaged in, it is to ask God first, is this the front line for me? Even if it's a good opportunity, God, even if everybody thinks I should do it because I'm Tony Evans' daughter or it's going to open a lot of doors or whatever the reasons are, would you help me by your spirit to know, is this what you've called Priscilla to? And if it's not, Lord, either shut that door or make it so clear by a level of unrest that I may feel or wise counsel that points it out to me, make it so clear that that's not for me, that no matter how big the opportunity may be, that I have a clear uh, courage by your spirit and boldness to say no and to stay on the line that you have called me to. I really have respected you and Jerry as much as anybody I know, Priscilla, watching you do that. Um, has really spoken to me a lot, you know, and we float in circles where sometimes, you know, right away when someone asks you something, the Lord wants me to be a part of that. You don't really need to go and hash it out. And other times you really do need to weigh it up. And I've watched you and Jerry do that and you live what you're talking about. And it's really encouraging to me and to Shelly as well. I, I want to just honor your dad one more minute. Um, I grew up in Atlanta 
got transplanted to Dallas-Fort Worth when I was in grad school at seminary. So all of a sudden, I'm in a foreign country um, as a 23-year-old <laughs> and have no clue that something like Fort Worth, Texas exists in America. Yeah. I'm blown away. People are wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots. It's real and legit. And I met this girl named Shelly Graves and my first summer there. And I remember standing in her kitchen at her house in Houston in the morning and her mom had your dad on, on the radio, on the counter. And being from Atlanta, I wasn't as familiar with um, your dad at that time. I was just a college kid graduating from school in Atlanta. And oh my goodness, he the, when he came on, I just was riveted. And she just looked at me like, what planet have you been living on? You don't listen to Tony Evans every morning in the, in the kitchen? <laughs> And she had all these post-it notes, Priscilla, all on her cabinet and on her counter where she would make little notes from your dad's uh, teaching. And from that day to this day, your dad has such a clarion, just the tone Mm -hmm. of his voice is sharp and Mm -hmm. so clear. And um, I just want to honor him for being so faithful to the Word of God, so faithful to the community um, mm-hmm. for his desire to lift up the next generation and to lift the entire community up, to uh, give an opportunity for education and advancement for uh, people throughout the world, actually, but starting in the community in South Dallas where you guys have been planted for a long time. He's a he's a legendary leader. And one day I, I would love to have him on this podcast, but I'm going to need somebody to put in a good word for me. Well, so. you know, I know people that know him. <laughs> <laughs> I can probably help with that. You I'm going to pass that along to him, Louis. Uh, that will mean a lot to you him. You mentioned your mom going to heaven uh, recently, yeah. and I heard you give a talk right before global crisis and the world shut down. You were speaking at a conference that I was at in Dallas, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact number, but you talked about an unthinkable number of your relatives who had left earth in a very short period of time, including your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, can you just talk about that yeah. season? And mm-hmm. now that there's a little distance, um, have you been able to process that? And yeah. If so, how? Well, um, yeah, you are right. We lost eight family members over the course of two years. And uh, my mom my mom passed away, Louis, December 9th, I'm sorry, December 30th of 2019. So it was right before we went sort of into the pandemic, of course, that we didn't know was coming. But what I also didn't know is that eight months after that, so this is August 2020, uh, my mother-in-law, Jerry's mother, she just went to take a nap one day. She was fine, healthy, and just didn't, didn't wake up. Uh, my son found her taking a nap in her bed, and she passed away. So that, that was the last loss that we had suddenly was Jerry's mother passing away. So it has been uh, devastating. It has been devastating. The recovery from it, now it's been, we're a year out now that it's August again here that we're doing this recording. We're a year out from that last loss. And I'll have to say that I, I, I know that I have felt it deeply because I'm a very optimistic person usually. I look toward the future. I'm excited about what's on the horizon. Even though I know there will be challenges most of the time, that doesn't, that's the challenges aren't what sit with me. I'm looking forward to how we're going to get through those things, how we're going to move on, uh, what's going to happen in the next year of my kid's life. Like I'm always looking forward. This is the first time in my life over the past year and a half or so 
where I've looked forward towards the future and I've thought, what's the next shoe that's going to drop? What's the next devastation that's on the way? What's the next struggle that I need to brace myself for? That change in perspective is what lets me know that these wounds have hit me in a way that honestly on the on my conscious level, I don't even know it's affected me that way. But the fact that my perspective about the future has shifted um, is what lets me know that that grief is deep and it's real. I think that it's made ministry and will make ministry a little bit more effective because you have empathy for people when they've gone through hard stuff and you've been through hard stuff. It actually makes you relate to those people differently, see people through a different lens and have compassion toward them and for them and speak to them from experience as opposed to just, you know, here's what the Bible says with no actual, let me empathize with you as well. So I'm looking forward to how the Lord is going to deepen the way that I'm able to connect with people in regards to that. But it has taken, and I know is going to continue to just take time for us to keep moving forward with our eyes still on Jesus. I do not question his character, even though I don't know why he's allowed these hurtful and, and hard and devastating things to happen. But I, I know that it is okay with him in my grief for me to ask him questions without questioning him. Does that make sense? Wow. That I can say to him, Lord, why would you allow this? How, how did you, you know, how does this give you more glory than having kept my mom from passing away, for example, and healing her of that cancer, Lord? Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I, I feel estranged from you a bit. I'm grieving. I'm sad. All of those things. I can voice all of that, but still in the next breath say, but I know your character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know you're good. I know you're kind. I know you love me. I know you're sovereign. I know you're omniscient and omnipresent. So Lord, I'm going to root myself in your character, even as I ask my questions. And I'm so glad that I serve a God who knows me and my humanity and his grace is sufficient for that. Um, and so we just keep walking one foot in front of the other. Um, but I'm not letting myself start to question the character of God, even as I struggle with the realities of my emotions right now. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that uh, we all are in a zone right now, Priscilla, where everybody's totally. waiting for the next shoe to drop. We mm-hmm. have had some pretty big ones drop globally, um, some more specific to our context as followers of Jesus. Um, yep. It seems like everybody's kind of holding their breath. And it feels like once COVID did sort of reach an opening zone, everybody just said, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So we're going to Mexico for the weekend. We're going to have vacation right now because I I can't count on anything. And that is a different mindset than I think we were in pre-global crisis. So how how do you feel like the church should be positioning itself? And do you feel like you're positioning your message differently now than you were two years ago? Well, I think that the church still has the same mandate to be the church, to be the light in the midst of the darkness and to, as its primary focus, lift up Jesus. That's the goal that of everything else that, yes, we need to touch the, the, the touch points in people's lives that need to be addressed. Those have to be branches and spinoff conversations of what is clearly made the main goal and the main focus, and that is to highlight Jesus. He's still the only one that's going to change lives lives individually, but also that is going to impact culture and the issues that we're facing socially. Still, the answer is Jesus. 
So I think that still has to be the main focus. And the reason why I say that and think it's so important to say it is because in many different churches, the emphasis has shifted. Um, While it's out of a pure and rightful intent to address issues of sociology and issues that are affecting different people and different people groups, that's important. But the whole primary focus of the church can't shift over there. There has to be still remaining a goal to highlight Jesus and to disciple people in their relationship with Jesus Christ because their victory in any area of life is directly connected to the depth of their relationship with Jesus and how well they know his character. And so I say that about the church. Should we have empathy and compassion and wise counsel and teaching about the issues we're facing in our culture? Well, we're better. We better because people are living real lives. They're out here struggling with um, concerns about their children and their marriages and their dynamics in terms of culture and their politics. And so we better address those issues. Um, and that's how the message of the church might need to shift um, in that way, because there are many churches that have not addressed any of these issues that have been stirred up over the past couple of years until now. And um, so I think that's what the past two years has done, is it has brought awareness to some churches and streams of the church about where their weaknesses have been, where there are whole groups in their church that have felt marginalized because they're dealing with issues that their church never speaks to and never addresses. So um, as the focus remains on Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help us to see what branches do I need to specifically address so that our church as a whole can be discipled to honor Jesus in these specific aspects of regular everyday living. For me personally, Louis, I feel the same way, that my my message is not going to shift. I want to equip the body of Christ to know who Jesus is, to know how to live in light of his word, to know how to line up our morals, our um, line up our ambitions, line up our will, so that we are living a life that is Christ-like. That's going to still be my primary goal. Within the course of a message, will I bring up how that specifically applies to some area of culture? Well, I think any effective ministry has to address how God's word that I'm teaching to you today and exegeting, how that connects applicationally with what you're dealing with, with your teenager that is going to school and is having to deal with gender identity issues and cultural issues and is struggling with their politics. And as you all are wrestling through that, how does this apply to those issues? So I'm hoping to be culturally aware enough to connect the application of God's truth as my primary focus, focusing on Jesus, but to direct that to how people can applicationally live that out in their daily lives. We are obviously, um, we're a few months away now from another passion gathering, Lord willing, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And you now have a college student. That's a crazy thought. (laughs) It is a crazy thought. I cannot believe it. You have a freshman at Liberty University. Yes, uh, yes. Playing football. Yeah. And that's so exciting. Congratulations, by the way, Thank to you and Jerry. I know you. that's uh, a lot of hard work and prayer. Um, I, I remember Jerry talking years ago about your boys and just the path that he wanted to put them on. He was so careful about how they would progress and how they would grow, how they would develop, and to see um, this end result at this point of the juncture is a result of a lot of um, a lot of care. So, congrats! But <laughs> but when you. now you're talking to passion, you're not talking just to an arena full of people or a stadium full of yeah. people. Your son is sitting there, 
yeah. as a college student. So yeah. what are the two or three things that you feel are imperative that college students, particularly and college age young people, get their hearts and their minds around if they're going to succeed in being followers of Jesus? I think the number one thing would be community matters. It is going to be increasingly and exponentially more difficult to stay on the line morally and to honor God with your daily choices if you don't have a circle of people around you who are also headed in that same direction. One of your prayers before you ever get to school needs to be, Lord, would you already be positioning me with the right roommate and suite mates and athletic um, you know, uh, advisors and teammates and people who just a handful, Father, if the whole team is living in a way that is outside of what I know is best for my life and what doesn't honor you, would you would you just let there be a remnant of players or a remnant of folks that live in this dormitory who want to stand with me that we can keep each other accountable and they want to honor God in the same way I do? Uh, But like I've prayed for my son, Jackson, and we've talked about not only those kinds of people that have those same kind of moral compassing, but also people who have the same kind of swag, meaning they can actually (laughs) be my friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I like them. They like me and we can kick it together because they're my people. You know, Um, pray for that. I believe God's going to honor that, whether you're on a private university campus or a secular uh, university campus. It's the same prayer that you need. Don't Don't think just because you're going to a private school that you don't need to pray that prayer. Oh, yes, you do. You need to ask God for a circle of people who are around you. So that would be the main thing that comes to my mind. Um, And then being committed to or praying towards and thinking towards actually needing to have some backbone, meaning it's going to take courage for you to actually live right. It's going to take courage because it, it means that when you're hanging out with your people, And then they begin to walk down a line or in a direction that you know is not where you need to be and what you need to do. At some point, you're going to have to have enough backbone to say, it's all right. I'm good. Y'all go ahead. Have a great time. I'll see you when you get back. And that means you're going to be sitting in that dorm, maybe by yourself, or you're going to have to eat alone, or they went to go see that or do that. And you didn't participate. And you're going to have to have enough backbone to be by yourself and be okay increasingly more and more in this generation, it's going to be necessary to be able to stand alone and be okay. So those would be the top things that come to mind. Well, that's so powerful. I think a lot of a lot of uh, people are leaving church and heading out into either college or a gap year, an internship, or maybe they're taking a job for a season. And they didn't anticipate, Priscilla, that not only are there going to be people on that campus who don't want to walk with them as they follow Jesus, but there are going to be people on that campus that want to tear down their confidence in Jesus. So speak to that just for a moment. Obviously, that's not going to happen to your son at Liberty, but maybe to the kid that goes to Texas A&M or Texas Tech or to Oklahoma or somewhere, maybe there is going to be a professor waiting for them in the first class that says the Bible isn't trustworthy and everything you've been taught, uh, you should go investigate and research because it's not reliable. How can we prepare people for that kind of a reality? Well, it's great that you asked that question because 
it is the reality, not only for college students, but man, for all of us, because we live in a post-Christian era. Um, It used to be, you know, just three or four decades ago, that even if people were not Christians, they at least respected and valued the morality that the Bible outlined. They at least respected it. You know, we were kind of, as a culture, sort of on the same page that the Bible was a good moral compass. Well, now to stand in alignment with that, you are right. You're going to experience direct opposition to that appreciation for the moral compassing and governing of the scriptures. You're going to be called intolerant. You're going to be said, it's going to be said of you that you um, don't think for yourself, that your faith is watered down and useless and that Jesus is not who he said he is and that he's not the only way, that there are many ways. And, um, and so you have to, again, not only have backbone, but you're going to have to be able to contend for the faith. That is not going to happen um, magically. In order to be able to contend for the faith, and man, I'm speaking to myself even as I say this, you and I are going to have to be intentional about being equipped. Why do we believe what we believe? There are incredible sort of apologetics courses, for for lack of a better word, and I say that loosely because it's not like you need a seminary class to do this, but you just have to be intentional about finding a a book or a resource that can very cleanly, um, carefully but also very um, simply show you what are the ways that you can be able to answer the tough questions that are going to come your way from that professor or the teacher at your kid's school that is telling you why they don't teach a particular thing or why they have been um, teaching a particular thing in a particular way that you know just isn't lining up with truth. You've got to be able to answer some hard questions. So if you're realizing as you flip through social media or as you contend with people in your sphere of influence, you're realizing that there are questions that are popping up. And if it were you in the hot seat, you wouldn't be able to give an answer for that. That's your cue as to research what book or resource in a very simple way that I can digest. That doesn't take two years of classes to figure out how can I be prepared to give a response for my faith? Not mindless arguing, by the way. But being able to be sure and confident in being able to clearly communicate why I believe what I believe. You know, and I think for me, Priscilla, a lot of times it isn't like I want to be equipped so that I can win an argument. I've, I've personally never seen someone come to faith through an argument. Totally. You know, like I got the answer for that. I read the apologetics book. Here's you know, answer A, B, and C. And then the person goes, oh my goodness, I've been wrong about this my entire life. I want to give my life to Jesus and become a disciple of of the Lord. Um, People are one to the Lord by our actions and by our compassion and by our love and extending them grace and then explaining to them the truth. But it, it seems like the grace goes first. Jesus came full of grace, full of truth. So there was no one or the other. But it seems like grace is the doorway for the truth to touch people's hearts. And, totally. But I know for me, Priscilla, what I was going to say is that a lot of times the research and the learning just gives me more confidence. And yeah. I may never be in a debate where I needed to know that answer, but I do know that there is an answer because I studied it and I feel confident, even if I can't explain it as good as another person could who's a lot smarter than me. Um, I'd send John Piper out to debate him. Let let him yeah, have a swing right. at it, you know. But it gives me confidence, and I, I hope people will take that advice. It's really practical and simple. But if you are going into ministry, this is what I wanted to ask you because you uh, went to DTS, right? Mm-hmm, I did. So you're seminary trained 
And um, obviously, that's a big investment, DTS. That's no, that ain't no joke. <laughs> so correct. Um, so to people going into ministry, I, I hear a lot of talk these days because there's all these resources online, and you can Google everything. So why go to seminary? Why yeah. take the time? Why take the effort? I can just Google what that Greek word means, and I don't really need to take a class in Greek. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say I never took Greek or Hebrew, and so I can understand that <laughs> argument. It's a, it, I can understand that it's very overwhelming. I do use Logos Bible software, and I happen to have a daddy named Tony Evans. So it, I do understand <laughs> <laughs> the struggle there. Um, but, uh, you know, I valued those years at seminary. Um, I did learn a lot during that time that I didn't even recognize then was going to shape so much of and provide a foundation for so much of what the Lord was going to call me to. I didn't know that this would be it, but so I'm very glad that I did that. I would encourage anybody who's considering it. Oh man, yes, consider it prayerfully. And then if you have the opportunity, go because it can only benefit you in so many ways. That being said, some of the most faithful a God-honoring Bible teachers that I know and that have blessed my life and have shown me truth in Scripture and revelation from Scripture did not go to seminary. They did not have that. So it is not a need in order to be effective in ministry and an effective communicator of the Word of God. That should not be a stumbling block to someone. Do I think that you need to study so that you can rightly divide the Word of truth? Absolutely. And I'm getting a little off target from your question, Louis, but let me say that there are so many benefits and valuable things that have come out of basically everybody having a microphone through social media, but the voices of people who are unstudied and actually do not have depth of relationship with the father and have walked with him and have taken the time to dig deeply into the actual context and meaning of scriptures. Some of those voices have been amplified as well. And honestly, they just need to spend time, all of us do, being discipled for ourselves and coming to know God's word for ourselves um, under wise counsel and mentorship before we ever take to discipling people on social media. So we have to be careful because everybody's got a platform now <laughs> and some of us aren't prepared for that. Uh, and it's okay. It's okay not to have a platform right away. You need to study God's word before you share it. Um, so yes, I believe seminary is a great thing, but the reason why um, I would share to someone that's, that seminary is not useless, that it's not a waste of time, that it's something that would add value is the same conversation I've been having with my sons, nieces, and nephews, and lots of young people in my life about why college is still important. Now, you know, two decades ago, three decades ago, college was necessary. If you did not have a college degree, there was no way that you could even get a decent job and start out on a career path. Well, Louis, Truth be told, that's not the, it's not the truth anymore. You cannot have a college degree and do just fine. <laughs> so, of course, we've got folks that are looking at us, including my own sons, going, why? Why would I invest my time in this next four years of college if actually I don't need that? There's so many entrepreneurial endeavors available to young people now that weren't available 30, 40 years ago. And of course, social media is marketing. So it gives you a platform and opportunity to build a business. I mean, all that's available. But I look at my children and young people that come to me with that and I say, listen, the main reason why you need to go, and there are many layers, but I'll just jump to this one, is because it's not just about classes. There's an experience that you're going to have in college. And it's an experience that if you don't take advantage of the relationships that are going to be established, 
the growth of character that's going to come, the discipline that you're going to learn. There are many foundational things, tangible and intangible outside of just getting a degree. There are many things that are birthed out of that season of your life that if you skip it, you will have skipped a step or a stage that was going to be necessary for you to take the next step healthfully and with good character and with integrity. So there are intangible things that come out of that season. Plus, it's fun. (laughs) You get to act adult without all the responsibilities of being an adult. Why would you want to skip this stage where you don't have to jump straight to the full responsibility of adulthood? So I've been trying to get them to understand that while you may not need it in the way previous uh, decades of people did, um, there is some need there and some um, losses that you will not even know until hindsight that you missed out on the opportunity to receive because you didn't take advantage of the opportunity to go to college. I feel the same way about seminary. It's not only about the classes. But yes, oh my gosh, it's going to open your mind in ways you can't even imagine to what it is that the Lord is saying and how you can communicate it. But also, it's about the relationships that are formed. It's about the breadth of ministry that you will gain in looking at the many streams of the church that you come across because of different people from different backgrounds and different denominations that you're in class with. It's the out-of-class discussions that you're going to have as y'all work together on a on a project that you've got to research together with people that don't live in America. So they have a different perspective and a mindset about that particular, the way that passage would relate to somebody who comes from where they come from. All of that right there is so valuable and will help to inform the way your ministry develops. I used an illustration that you preached uh, in a message, that same um, message at that conference in Dallas a few years ago in a book that I just released and you were talking about zebras. And I'd love it if you would just tell people <laughs> what that illustration was about, because it was so profound. And I think there's probably someone listening to us right now that's like, hey, I'm not really thinking about ministry. I'm not going to be a speaker. But man, I just need to know that God knows me, sees me, loves me. Yeah. Um, that blew me away, by the way, when you were talking about that. So tell people what, how, what's up with the zebras. Louis, what, what book did you put that in? It's in Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Oh, see, I have a copy of it. I haven't gotten to read it yet because I've been in a writing project, but I've got that book and I cannot wait to read it. Well, somebody Um, from my team, I think, was supposed to ask you if it was okay if we used that illustration from your talk. So I'm asking for permission uh, now and saying (laughs) thank you and um, saying I'm sorry. No, I love love that you use that. So, yes, that was from when I took my boys— I had to speak in South Africa. So we saved up all this money and over a year so that we could take our boys with us. And one of the things we did was go on this early morning safari. Um, and we saw lots of animals, of course, that we'd never seen in real life, which is what I wanted. But we also saw zebra. And I remember thinking when we got to the zebra, you know, don't spend a lot of time here, safari guide. Let's move <laughs> on. We've seen zebra in America. You know, we got that. But he paused and he said, there's a, there's a foal. There's a baby zebra right there. Do y'all see that baby? And we, and we said, yeah, we see the baby. And he said, well, we haven't seen that foal in about three weeks. The baby was born, and then we just lost him for about three weeks. Uh, the foal and the mom have been gone, and now they're back. And he said, I, I love seeing that the baby's back. Do you know why the mother takes the baby? And he said that every configuration of stripes on a zebra, particularly right there in the center of the forehead, is a unique configuration of stripes, kind of like our fingerprints. You can't really tell just by looking at it point blank. 
but the nuances of the makeup of that configuration on every single zebra is different. So when a new baby is born, the mom will take the baby zebra away for a certain period of time so that that foal only has eyes on the configuration on its mom's forehead. So the goal is so that the baby, when it comes back to the herd, won't be so distracted and confused by all the configurations on all the zebras that he'll know before he gets back. The one configuration that belongs to the the parent that loves him the most and that gave birth to him. And that is a, a view of how we should handle, I think, some of those times in our life where we are like that baby, fledgling in ministry, Maybe we're a little weak or vulnerable. It's where I've been, Louie, over the past two years because of the emotional unrest that we've faced personally and globally. And I felt like that's the time where we don't need to run from God. It's when we snuggle up real close and tight and intimate and personal with Jesus and get to know him more fully and just stare at him in his word and stare at him in prayer and stare at him in our personal relationship because that's where we get to know his stripes. And it's by his stripes that we're healed. And, and we can't do that when we're being confused by and distracted by the configuration of everybody else's stripes and opinions and their ideals. we got to steal away with the one who loves us the most. So powerful. Everybody's thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I'd got that in my book. It's like, nope, too late. <laughs> I'm so glad you used that illustration. I should use it too in writing. I need to do that. That's a good idea. Louis. I totally gave you credit. And uh, I was telling everybody about hearing you speak. In fact, I was just in the process of starting to write the book in that season. And it was so powerful. The, the podcast is called Passion and Purpose. And I'd love to just close by letting you tell us what is... What are the passions or the passion of Priscilla Shire, and what is her purpose? Well, my primary passions um, outside of you know my relationship with the Lord is really my family. Uh, I want my husband to be blessed. I want him to be encouraged. I want him to feel supported. I want him to have a soft place to land when he comes home from a world that's hard. Um, that takes intentionality and it takes time. The same thing with my boys. I want these three boys to know that there's a safe place for them here at home, that they have a mama that wasn't just doing stuff for everybody else all over the world, but that she, you know, baked bread for us and she made homemade dinners for us and she talked to us and she took us to the park, although they're teenagers now, so they don't want to go to the park. But, um, you know, basically that she was here. Um, I want to invest in my boys spiritually. Um, just so everybody knows, um, devotional time doesn't look all sweet and amazing. And I have boys that are fully engaged. No, they're teenagers. They're like, mom, can you hurry this up so we can move on with, you know, what we had planned for our life. The NBA finals are on tonight. So I'm having to kind of force everybody to be in these moments of, no, no, we're going to actually have devotion several times a week together as a family. And I just want to be consistent in providing a a place where my boys can can flourish and where they feel invested in, where they'll look back at least and go, well, my mom was consistent and she invested in us. That's my primary passion right now. It has always been, but particularly during these transition years where they're kind of, the first one went to college, the second one graduates in this next school year, he'll be going to college. They're flying the coop now, Louis, so I'm short yeah. on time and I want to direct most of my energy, passion, innovation, creativity into how can I engage these teenage boys in these years. So that's my primary passion. And in terms of purpose, 
um, it lines up the same with family. But in terms of ministry and in career and business and all those sorts of things, my eyes are still peeled to the horizon for what creative endeavors the, the Lord is going to give me an opportunity to participate in. And my purpose and goal is always, Lord, how are you going to be glorified in this project? And how are you going to draw people to yourself through this project? If I can't see that clearly, meaning some people go, okay, Priscilla, you're a writer and you're a speaker and you've done these movies now and you're doing all these things. But really to me, it's all the same thing. Any movie script that crosses our desk, for example, which, which after war room, there were many, many scripts that came my way. Um, the vast majority of them we just said no to because I would have just been acting. And for me, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I know that my purpose isn't just to be a good actress. My purpose is, is this project going to glorify God? And is it going to actually make the people that are in the, the theater that may never read a book that Louis Giglio or Priscilla may write, they may never go to a Bible study or go to Passion or be in a church, but they did come to this theater to get some hot, buttery, salty popcorn and a soda. Is there a way that this project might open their eyes to who Jesus is? So even in movies, that's my purpose. So I'm asking God, are there projects that align with that purpose? If there is, then bring them across my path if that's what you have for me. And then give us the energy, give us the strength, give us the resolve to be able to continue to serve you, whether it's in speaking or writing or film, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm here for it as long as you've called me to it. Such a great conversation today and such a privilege for me. Shelly and I love you and Jerry. We really do feel like we're family. I hope you guys feel that way because we certainly do. We do. And it's such a privilege to have you on today. Thank you for the generosity of your time, your heart, your experience, um, for just opening up your life to people today. I'm so grateful to have you on. Thank you for having me. We're blessed by your friendship. We're grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning in to my conversation with Priscilla Shire. Wow, that is timeless wisdom, incredible perspective, passion and purpose personified. What a great conversation. I hope that you are enjoying the podcast and I would trust that you have subscribed by now, but if not, you can subscribe today. And I'd be honored if you'd leave a review and certainly would be grateful if you'll share the podcast with a few of your friends as well. Thanks again for listening to the Passion and Purpose podcast.